0: Hello and welcome to Kai Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. This is episode number 79. I'm your host, Joel, and we have, uh, well, can't say quite as always, but uh, we have Mario Bueno here with us today.
1: Hello, hello. Yes, <laughs> I'm here uh, as as frequently as I possibly can be in these increasingly more busy times as uh, yes. events are starting to wind back up. Indeed. But great to be back.
0: Yeah. So we start today on a bit of a somber note, and that is as most people in the anime sphere are aware uh regrettably Chris Ayers passed away this past week at the age of fifty six uh He had been diagnosed with end stage chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in November of 2017 uh underwent a double lung transplant some time ago, and uh Suffice it to say, this was not a shock to the anime community, but it was the type of thing that, even seeing it a mile away, it was an earth-shattering impact this week for many, many people. Um, Chris is best known for his work as Frieza in Dragon Ball Z, he had a very accomplished career starting as far back as 2003 when he was in Saint Seiya and uh, his most recent roles being Frieza uh, for Dragon Ball Super uh, his uh, illness obviously being related to uh, pulmonary disease and lung transplant meant that his work as a voice actor was very much hindered and it was put to a rather swift end several years ago, but he remained very active in the community, even from his hospital bed. Um, He is someone that I myself only had a chance to see in person, I think once or twice at a KatsuCon. I never had the opportunity to work with him directly at any events, but I know many, many people that did. Uh, Mario, our, uh, our mutual mentor, Sarah Sullivan, uh, Worked with him a fair bit, and uh, she was obviously uh, very much beside herself with grief, as many others were this week. Um, did you actually have a chance to interact with Chris at all?
1: uh no that was uh much much like you one of those uh things that i'm very sad about i have um uh, you know i have interacted with the ayers family uh in general specifically uh his his brother, his brother greg, greg yeah who i've had a chance to work with greg yeah he's literally the reason that chris uh got into anime um so i i've my my feelings go out to you know the the ayers family uh as a whole um Cause yeah, you know, it's not, it's not easy to lose family. And especially one who, uh, you know, was part of such a, a vibrant community, um, you know, who's, whose surviving sibling, you know, is is still very much connected to the industry, uh, and was the conduit for Chris's work. It's, it's, it's rough. Um, you know, I really admired the work that he did. You mentioned how, um, you know, his, his pulmonary issues did, uh, interfere with his work. I was even going to observe that, um, he had to s- briefly step away for some time. I believe it was when they were working on the Dragon Ball Super TV show, because um, he he took over the role of Frieza, uh, starting back with Dragon Ball Kai, which was basically the the uh, reedited, uh, slightly gussed up version of the original Dragon Ball anime or Dragon Ball Z anime. Uh, recut to to line up with the original Toriyama manga a lot better. So, you know, cutting out a lot of uh, superfluous uh, story arcs, filler, etc. Um, so that was when he inherited the mantle of Frieza and left his stamp on the character. And he stayed with the character uh, basically through his passing with a small interlude uh, during Super's uh, dub, because unfortunately that was when he had to, you know, undergo uh, some of the more extreme uh, parts of his treatment. So that was... Yeah, that was that was a real bummer. <laughs> he was doing such amazing work, um, and with the Dragon Ball franchise being one of those evergreens, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be very sad uh, not to to hear him continuing to give his unique spin on the character moving forward. Um, and like you said, he was very uh very active throughout every element of anime production he has a lot of staff credits to his name as well so i know he will definitely be missed on um on that side of the equation as well so uh yeah again no no personal interactions it's one that i'm i'm very sad about because my understanding was he was you know such a great a great human being, someone who is fun to work with. Um, yeah. He's one of those folks I never heard a bad thing about, and that's uh, yeah, I was going lot.
0: to say that's one of the things that um, really shined through these past couple of days, and like even in the past that um, you and I, Mario, we hear talk that uh, you you and I ourselves are not very much talkers. Well, obviously we talk a lot on this show, but there's a lot of stuff that we have seen and heard and interacted with during our time working at various events because it is a very small industry and people do talk for better or for worse. That you hear, all right, this person is, you know, not very good behind the scenes, probably wanna avoid working with them if possible. And others you hear, yeah, this person's, you know, this is a good egg, this is a good person that you're gonna wanna Mm -hmm. work with, don't hesitate to interact with them. And like you said, I don't think I ever heard a bad word about Chris Ayers. many many people have come out in the past few days with just stories and just very heartfelt condolences And one line that he is very much known for and that has been sort of the mantra on social media the past couple days that he said a lot was love and laughter always and uh i think that is a very apt picture of chris ayers and uh definitely far too soon it is awful to see someone go through as much as he did and to unfortunately have things end the way they did. But um, he will absolutely be remembered and remembered fondly. So uh, our condolences to all of Chris's family, friends, and fans. Uh, These things are never easy, regardless if you see them coming or not. And uh, we... Hope that uh, those that knew him will be able to continue remembering him fondly, and uh, that uh, his loved ones will, you know, be able to carry on his legacy in one way or another. Absolutely, couldn't have put
1: it better myself. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we do go from this very somber thing into our normal, you you know, relatively jovial stuff. So we'll ramp you back into it a little bit uh mario did you have a chance to watch much this past week
1: uh so i at first the answer would have been no um but i did in fact uh get to do a little bit of catching up uh so i've started a few shows from the new season uh they, they would definitely be uh what i would be considered uh as as a chaser fair or you know Popcorn fluff. <laughs> um, so so I checked out, geez, I'm blanking on the actual series title here. So let me just pull those up. I realized I should have pulled those up as well as the things for our main topic. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, I picked up uh, two shows that I watched with Laura because we we do enjoy our, our trash shows. And we were hoping that we would have some fun little trash uh, to, to add to the season. Um, and yeah, we definitely have those two, uh, and I will get you the show title shortly, but the, the other one that I definitely wanted to devote some time to absolutely screaming and flailing about was Comey Can't Communicate. Um Yeah,
0: I finally had a chance to see this one, uh, just last night. Um, th- this is one that has been anticipated for, I think, a year now, based on a very successful manga, yeah. and, uh... It's being released on Netflix on a weekly cadence. That was it, okay. They're, so they're doing the thing. It's a bit late because the season began like three weeks ago, but they're doing the thing.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. Besides the the absolute shock of the level of quality that this show brings to the table, I was gobsmacked at the fact that Netflix is not going to keep this in Netflix jail until it's ready to go. I'm like, wait, wait, they're do they're what they're. They're giving it to us in a timely manner. By they're, God. They're learning <laughs> I mean, they've they've adapted. <laughs> they understand now. Oh, oh, maybe our maybe our anime will will have better numbers if we you know release it when it comes out and not like a year later. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, we do love our Netflix anime. obviously, look at some of the top contenders of our first two anime of the year top ten lists. Uh, the first year was a a big win for Netflix anime coming out swinging with Carol and Tuesday last year. Great pretender was our runner up. So yeah, we joke, we joke about this, but we do really appreciate uh, Netflix's uh, anime slate. Um, but yeah, let me, let me just get into everything I love about Komi Can't Communicate thus far. So it was pitch perfect in terms of an introductory episode. It it had genuine pathos it had some good laughs the visual style oh my god like every 30 seconds i would turn to laura and just be like wow they threw a lot of budget into this wow there is so much budget in this scene (laughs) and even the even the interstitials you know like the little eight bit or the the uh pixel art comies uh and the the title bumps like in between segments Oh my God, it was dripping with style and it just gave me life. And the fact that this story, at least thus far, seems to be so incredibly wholesome and is sticking to that, I, I'm i genuinely floored in the best way possible. I, I said right out of the gate, if this maintains the level of quality that we see in this first episode, not just in terms of the visual fidelity, but in terms of the narrative uh, fidelity, we might be looking at a dark horse for our top 10 list like i yeah i expected it, this to be good the, the I content didn't we're it working
0: with here good. is not oscar bait shall we say that this is light-hearted Correct. fair um for those who aren't familiar comey can't communicate as the title would suggest focuses on a character with severe social anxiety um the most severe for the record that it is literally to the point where she is incapable of introducing herself at the first day of school and that she has to go to the chalkboard and write her name and that you know half spoiler alert that the big scene where she begins to communicate in this episode is still in writing that this is not a you know a one episode cure or turnaround, but we have our protagonist who is prides himself on being socially aware, who realizes that Comey, who is very pretty and has caught the eye of everyone in school, and everyone wants to try and talk with her, wants to be her friend, but she's absolutely petrified and can't respond to anyone or anything when they approach her. And he realizes, oh, wait, this isn't because she's aloof or stoic or too high up for anyone else she wants to be friends with people but she can't and that he his goal is to try and help her make a hundred friends and we've seen this type of narrative uh narrative before with um uh bochi i I can't remember the full name uh he told me bochi or something along those lines um i'll recall later anyways that This is the main crux of it, but we also have some lighthearted laughs along the way of just Comey being awkward, and it's not even the type of thing that you're laughing at her expense, because these are the types of things where a lot of people, even if you don't have social anxiety to the severity that Comey has, that most people can relate to, you know, from one experience or another, and I'm sure that a not insignificant portion of the audience probably relates to on a very deep level that you know i don't want to lean into stereotypes of anime fans but just there are a a lot of people in the community that suffer from social anxiety some more severe than others not uh, nearly all to the degree of komi but it's the type of thing that even for someone like you and i mario that everyone has social anxiety at some time or another it is and unavoidable truth of life that even you and I, I think, can see ourselves a little bit in Comey, and some will be able to see themselves even more. And the way that it's being approached, I think, is very thoughtful. And while I'm not, I have not read the manga, I've seen Komi same. memes around for years, that the also images same. and the visual style has been lifted one-to-one. Nothing has been changed here, and I think that's for the better, That Uh, you have your very traditional uh, upscale art style for the faces, but then you have these moments where think Alphonse Elric from FMA, where, you know, his face would go kind of chibi, that you get that sort of stylistic whiplash a lot with Comey. And uh, those are for the more comedic moments and, uh, It's very clear that this is being done faithfully. It's being done with more animation than uh, House Husband. This is not moving panels. This is full, fluid, you know, detailed. There's, in these scenes where they are writing with chalk, there's just this beautiful shot where you see chalk dust fluttering down like snow. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. And, uh, yeah, The, the writing here I don't think is going to be you know, top five anime of the year level, but between the production and just the overall narrative and the performance that uh, even if it's not Oscar bait type of material, this is top tier material And for what it is and what it is trying to be.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to just zero in on that chalkboard scene for a moment because that was where it really clicked for me. I'm actually getting a little choked up uh, thinking back to that scene as i am trying to articulate in words just how moving that entire scene was like we've we've only met these characters like you said this is not this is not oscar bait this is not meant to be some sort of you know very uh, high art presentation but damn it if it they don't like a truck you, oh if, if if you do not feel something watching that scene Oh, <laughs> I would be genuinely surprised. I don't know about impressed, but I would definitely be surprised because I did not expect uh, the the amount of feels uh, to to hit me. Uh, and like you said, the amount of detail. That's why I kept saying, you know, oh man, they they threw so much into into this budget for this scene. Why would you go out of your way to just uh, highlight something as simple as as chalk dust if it's not, you know, for for you know some sort of true uh, artistic effect. Oh my god, like they oh, went i think above there was artistic on.
0: effect here for sure. Oh,
1: yeah, exactly. And and it's it's clear that there was a lot of passion put into this adaptation. Uh, I was going to draw comparisons to uh One Punch Man. Uh when it was first released, there was always that fear of okay, are they going to preserve the the level of uh of artistry in the original manga? And the first season did a pretty good job of that. This I would argue. Uh, goes beyond that. Like you look at the original, uh, the original manga, even in just little snippets, it, it's not the most uh, articulate uh, or, or intricate uh, piece of, of literature. But man, did they make it look good! <laughs> it looks amazing, uh, and that's that's how you can tell that there was a lot of passion put into this project. So that's yeah, that's just kind of my my follow up on why I'm just so darn impressed <laughs> by this show in just the first episode and hoping that it, it maintains this for the rest of the run
0: yeah quick and aside the title um, i was looking yes. for was hitori bochi
1: yeah speaking of titles uh i found the ones that i was blanking on I, I didn't want to give like half titles and then have to double back so the two shows that uh that we we ended up watching that are from this season were uh Tabawa on monday 2 which is a follow up to a series of well, it's basically like a series of illustrations. Isn't that that... Shorts, correct. Uh, as is the other one, uh, Gambare Doki Chan. <laughs> uh, they they both very much fall into like the same same sort of like theme. They're both adapted from uh, you know original art pieces that kind of turned into their own story. But like the the visual styles are distinctive of the original artist. Uh, they are short form animations, so we're talking like you know five to eight minute shorts uh, per episode, um, and they they lean they lean a certain way. That's why I was uh, saying they fall into the trash category. But uh, I would argue of the two, Gambare Doki Chan is actually cute trash. So yeah, (laughs) like minus, minus the trash moments that uh, pop up at least once per episode, the underlying story of uh, a coworker crushing on one of her other coworkers, who's constantly being C blocked by uh, her more endowed coworker who knows that she likes this coworker. um, It it's actually really charming and really fun. So if you got five minutes and you want to see like a, a cute little office romance, Sure. Gambare Doki-chan. It, it's pretty fun. <laughs> so that is that is what I caught up with uh, on top of the <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, super wholesome, call me, can't communicate. Uh, what about you, Joel? Because uh, I know that you mentioned last time what you were starting on uh, over the course of the season. Um, so how have you been uh, finding the the shows that we talked about last week as they enter another week of release?
0: So... I forget if you were on the episode or not where I mentioned that I binged all of 86 in a weekend.
1: No, but okay, go on. <laughs> I did.
0: And it was very good. Um, so 86, I'm not sure if you recall, is a sort of a mech slash war anime that uh, initially premiered in spring. Yeah, and, and, uh, and season understanding... two is happening right now.
1: Yeah, my understanding is that it ended up being a very good adaptation, uh, pretty popular, uh, so it did get the second season green light. Um, so, what, yeah, what what are your thoughts so far?
0: It's really good that it's got—it's it's difficult to find a proper analogy because, yes, it's mechs, and yes, it's war, and it's one of those cases where I feel like every individual element of this show has been— uh, done somewhere before. But they've never been done in this exact combination, and it's doing the combination very well. Ooh. I thoroughly enjoyed the first season, obviously enough to binge it in a uh, day and a half, basically.
1: I was gonna say. Um, <laughs> the fact it's that you take the type you made of that thing that, that
0: depending on how it sticks the landing of the second season could end up being a a thing that I sort of toss aside and say, all right, this is honorable mention stuff, could end up being back half of anime of the year or maybe it does something really special uh if i were to work on the first season alone it would be in eight nine ten honorable mention territory like very very good and yeah, that, that given, checks out
1: for what i've heard about this show so hooray
0: given where season two has started it could end up in the same place it could end up Honorable mention and definitely not ranked, or it could end up higher. It's they've changed things very fundamentally in a way that very much makes sense in how season one ended. That it's not a surprise to see change where we wound up.
1: Okay, but I take that
0: because there was such a fundamental change there isn't quite a sense or at least not in my opinion yet of all right how well are they going to handle this new environment from a narrative standpoint because they did their original narrative very well and this is a continuation of the same story um really not even a time skip but because things changed so fundamentally in the finale of the first season there's a it's not quite as drastic as Megalobox to Nomad, oh, but it's close.
1: Okay. okay, I gotcha.
0: So yeah, enjoying it still, and we will see where it goes. Um running through a couple others. Miruko Chan is still Miruko Chan. It is fan servicey, horror, comedy. It's an interesting combination. Um, I would give it an episode and decide if you like it or not. It's different for sure. Um do do, do. tact op. destiny I've gotten through episode 3 it is pretty as heck it's a bit slow right now but I feel like there's some very interesting things narratively simmering beneath the surface I'm hoping they can really get that ramped up in the next couple episodes banished from the hero's party to live a quiet life it's cute it's you know we've had this before of Powerful hero wants to live a mundane life. This is not doing as well as killing slimes for 300 years, but it's still very watchable if you're looking for a palate cleanse and just something to enjoy. So, recommend at least for a watch if that type of show is to your taste. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Finest Assassin Reincarnated, I've seen episode 2, not 3 yet, uh, and episode 2 is sort of setting the stage of the reincarnation. Oh, so, okay. So, don't have two, or rather... Showing the process and first the the early years of the reincarnation, shall we say? All right. so not sure where that will or won't go. Comey, obviously, big gold star for week one. It's a bit late to the game, but better late than never. Um then we have than other months. things that are <laughs> <laughs> and we have things that are continuing. Aquatope on the white sand. I still say that this is a top ten show for sure. It's just a question of is it, 789 or, or is it 2 through
1: 2
0: through 5 mm um love, love alternative
1: uh, which yes. will
0: go well into our main topic is an interesting one because as we noted it is technically a continuation of its series that it is not the it's a multimedia franchise and it's based in visual novels and it is the 3rd Visual novel. The other two visual novels have not been adapted to anime. So it has an interesting thing. And basically, this all gets spelled out in episode two because things are very different from episode one. And essentially, after a bit of reading, I've come to understand that the the first game in this series is a regular school life sort of, uh, not quite etchy, but uh, romantic comedy visual novel. The second one has some elements of the, you know, war and conflict and mech stuff that we see here, and then that alternative goes even harder, and that in episode two here, we have some timeline shenanigans at play, that um, it's not clear if we're working with re-zero logic or if we're working with uh remake our life logic but main character with understanding and having lived through a certain future is sent back and is trying to change the past and alter the course of this war we've seen this narrative before um hi there all
1: you need is kill how you doing well, how you doing live well, die repeat Enter tomorrow get... the adaptation of all you need is kill <laughs> that's which what's was surprisingly going to happen good
0: if it goes the re-zero <laughs> route uh but there's uh i think amazon or somebody it might have been hulu did one called the tomorrow war recently which was uh, yes similar. amazon
1: um i actually laura was watching that last night before we switched over to dune so yes mm. <laughs> that is very much amazon
0: <laughs> so it might be that it's not clear Jury's out on Mavlov right now because it's from comments I've seen from people who have read the visual novel. It has drastically expedited some of the early parts of the series, which honestly, in some cases, is the right thing to do, in my opinion of, you know, just whisk us through the early parts, establish the relationships and let's get to the meat of this so we can take our time in the meat of it, as opposed to, you know, taking our sweet time going through the early trials and tribulations that we know the characters will inevitably have to get through and then be rushed in the climax. So it will be interesting to see how this goes now that they are out of the early phases and, you know, moving past that episode three mark. So episode one as a standalone, phenomenal. Episode two and three, I worry, are going to... uh, alienate people potentially or lose their interest i am still holding on to hope here that we know the fact that it's an adaptation that it already has its fans and that it did something right in its initial iteration that was engaging enough to resonate with a lot of people and it's just going to be how well that translates after being uh truncated to an extent but uh It hasn't done anything that I would consider as someone who doesn't know the source material completely leaves me in the dark. That it was definitely weird because there's clear references and, oh, I know that I would get that more if I had played games one and two, but it's it's not enough that it impacts the viewing experience. It's, okay, I understand that the nicknames this character has suggested to the other characters is because he used those nicknames in a parallel timeline. So if anything, it feels like we're going through this more so with everyone except the main character because they all don't think it's a parallel timeline. This is the first go-around for them. So perhaps if you view it from that perspective of the main character is the odd one out even for us as the viewer— and try and watch it that way that it might be a bit more palatable
1: yeah and either well any way you slice it uh this this kind of cuts back to what i was saying about why i was so intrigued by this title it sounds like it does a lot of things uh, in an interesting way even if certain elements are things we may be familiar with already so it's just a matter of you know how does the narrative play out in terms of their their framing mechanisms and you know just the writing quality
0: yeah Um, and yeah i think once we get back out of this you know early establishing training arc and into what we had in episode one if it hits what it did in episode one again we're looking at something really really great and i almost wonder if they gave us episode one Basically, as an insurance policy to say, hey, wait a minute, the introduction to this story is gonna be different from where it's actually going. Here's the preview of where it's actually going. This is what this show is about. But now we have to tell the story. We'll get back to this later. If we get back to episode one later, I will be very happy.
1: So basically they they pulled a Naruto Shippuden <laughs> because that's basically how Shippuden kicked off. It's like, all right, so we've been doing fillers for the last like two years. We know most of you are caught up with the manga. So casual reminder of what we're building to this season, drop Sasuke's return. The first uh-huh. episode like that was literally the first episode that just cut to that. But then they backtracked to be like, OK, so we know we made you wait for that. Let's build up to that because that's what we do in a Shonen Jump adaptation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, a, it, it was like a reverse manga lore. It's like the manga got... It's an anime lore, I guess, in this case. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a perfect opportunity to get into our main topic. Uh, so we wanted to talk about visual novels today because as a, a quick aside, because it was going to get brought up at some point during uh, today's episode anyway... Uh, and it was brought up live yesterday on the uh, the Decode podcast, our esports and gaming podcast that emanates from the Waypoint Cafe at 65 Ludlow Street here in New York City, uh, that we are going to be uh, doing a panel at Anime NYC next month. It will be Saturday night at 7 p.m. in panel room 6, I believe. The panel is called Step in 2D Ring with Digital Era Entertainment. Uh, as the name infers, we are going to be focusing on our own visual novel project uh, a wrestling themed visual novel uh, originally conceived of by uh, our pal and your Thursday stream partner <laughs> RJ Para um so since since visual novels are very fresh on the mind here and obviously you know we have a a visual novel adaptation as one of the anime to keep an eye on for the season uh this felt like a good opportunity to to kind of delve into that world uh we we did touch lightly on visual novel adaptations for anime uh, way back in an earlier episode when the host of the Decode podcast, uh, Ken Cardez, our Decor Editor-in-Chief, joined us for a roundtable about those kinds of adaptations. But because this was such a, such a meaty topic in and of itself, we had to save it for later. Well no time like the present. So (laughs) let's, let's uh, jump right into it. So again, we started off with Move love alternative as a more recent example. Again, visual novels were the primary medium that that series was uh, brought to us through before being adapted into anime. Uh, There are tons of, of very popular examples. Uh, We even pulled up a little cheat sheet just to make sure we wouldn't miss a few. Uh, One of the most iconic, uh, just of all time that people always forget. And I always remind people that yes, this started out as a visual novel. And one of the lewd ones might I add or her the fate series uh, fate has just been a juggernaut of a multimedia franchise and its origins are those of a visual novel. So obviously there is a precedent for visual novels uh, regardless of their, their original um, their original releases, being brought into the world of anime and sometimes transcending their video game roots. Uh Fate is a fantastic example. Uh, I will freely admit. I have barely watched any Fate, <laughs> but it's one of those things that as an anime fan, you just know it. You are you are just uh engulfed in it because and of how And even if you don't know it, you
0: know of it.
1: Yeah, that that's how all encompassing this franchise has become. And it's wild when you think about its, its admittedly humble roots because a lot of these visual novels, and this is part of why um, Remake Our Life was just such a revelation in 2021, uh, especially given our, our flagship project here at Digital Era Entertainment. You know, the, one of the, cr- the crux of that narrative in, in the, the uh, past timeline that is focused on is basically putting together a dating sim visual novel. And that that whole experience as it plays out, it's like that was the experience of so many of these creators back in that early time when they were basically homebrewing these these visual novels, releasing them at like, you know, comic head or their their local, uh, you know, dojinshi swap meets, essentially. And then some of these would go on to get picked up to become some of the most legendary anime of all time. Um, also, going back to that same early period, you have uh, Clanad. Uh, that's another one that I'll, I'll admit I've never actually seen Clanad, but it's one of those that has a reputation that precedes it because it was a very popular visual novel adapted into an equally popular anime. Um, another all-time, uh, another all-time classic, and this is one that I've definitely seen start to finish. I believe you have as well, Joel. Steinsgate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Steinsgate. <laughs> like, what, would you like to to remind everybody why Steinsgate is so great for a moment? Because I realize I'm just like chattering on here, and I, I just want to like hammer this point home of like how good Steinsgate is.
0: I mean, do we want to talk about how it was a total meme fest? Do we want to talk about how it had both a phenomenal Japanese cast and performance, but also one of the best English adaptations, headlined? Adapted and directed by the incredible J. Michael Tatum. Do we want to talk about all of the memes that have come out of the thing? Do we want to talk about the fact that it's just time travel storyline is super engrossing? Do we want to talk about how uh, the fact that its visuals are awesome, the fact that it has one of the most banger openings of 2012? There are many things. (laughs) Let me list the ways in which Steinsgate is awesome.
1: Precisely, and again to that point, look at what its origins were. Like they even went back and uh, did did a remaster of the story using the anime visuals. Like that's how popular this thing is. It's like we're just going to give you the same thing that you already played, but then here here's the stuff that you saw in the anime More that you reference. probably Let watched because where you... it
0: is right now. Because oh, what's up? According Sorry, according to myanimelist.com dot com. It is currently the number four ranked series,
1: and with good reason. Uh, it is it is a timeless classic. Iron ironic, considering hey. all the timey wimey shenanigans. Um, and thank you, Nathan, in the chat. <laughs> I was gonna get to those. Don't you worry. <laughs> I was, I've been jumping around in the chronology because uh, another another one. Like both of these are from the same studio. We have definitely talked a lot about one of these in the past year for obvious reasons. Oh uh, yeah, Higurashi when they cry and uh, Umineko, uh, both of which started as incredibly popular uh, visual novel series that you know got the anime adaptation treatment. One of which got the remake that we've been treated to in the past year. Um, these these two shows, like again, they are things that have gone on to kind of, you know, transcend their visual novel origins. And that's just the quality of the storytelling that was present in these original games and how well they translate into this particular medium. I'm going to bring up one more that I'm always happy to go back to. I bring this up every single chance I get because... Damn it! (laughs) This was an underappreciated gem. More people need to go back and watch it. I know that it's not, like, the best ever, especially with its English dub but it, it it just hits a very warm place in in the heart. Uh, Comic Party. Uh, that was another one uh, from the early 2000s that started as a visual novel, which, by the way, got adaptations for consoles in Japan as... Uh, yeah, actually, no, not, none of the uh, console versions made it to the US, but this one was remade, uh, not just for... Well, it started on PC, got adapted to the Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> And then later got readapted to the Sony PSP um, and the anime adaptation. There were there were two there were essentially two adaptations. There's Comic Party and Comic Party Revolution. Revolution, I believe, hewed a little closer to some elements of the original game. Um, but the the original series is definitely a much closer one to one of the overall story with, you know, a few things uh, cut and trimmed. But uh, Comic Party, so good. So, so good. And it's another early example of this translation. Um, and, and As and brief I, I, aside
0: yes. for a philosophical question. Go for it. What defines a visual novel? Does it need to have multiple endings? At what point does a story-heavy game transcend and attain the rank of visual novel?
1: I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so uh, with, with visual novels, uh, it, it it very much is one of those things where it's in the name where it gets interesting is the level of interactivity that the player or reader uh, has uh, in terms of their experience. Like basically the level of agency that the player is given Um, using our own project uh, as, as an example of this ours is going to be a lot more interactive because there are going to be branching dialogue paths. You are going to have a lot more agency Uh, the way that it's being written. Yes. You could just sit back and click through and just, have yourself a good story with, uh, you know, good visuals, which is the baseline of a good visual novel experience. But in theory, the whole thing could just be a click-through with no choices being made. It could literally be just a visual novel. You know, we, we now are a bit more accustomed to this because of e-readers uh, and, you know, digital versions of, of graphic novels and manga and what have you. Uh, but this was very novel in you know especially at the the turn of the century uh because we didn't have any of those uh those particular devices so easily accessible like the best you could do would be like oh uh you know let me hope that somebody scanned uh all these pages of this book or this this comic or this manga and threw it online oops i have to lug around this bowling ball <laughs> of a portable computer just to be able to you know read read my story um and visual novels you know worked within the confines of that but also utilizing the, the mechanics of of a video game experience in in its most essential form. Okay, I the reader get to make choices. Uh, another great analogy are the the choose your own adventure books. I I actually just watched a great Toy Galaxy video on YouTube about that particular franchise uh, just the other day, and man, like those books and visual novels have so much in common. Like they are cut from the same cloth. It's just that one of them is on, on a computer screen. The other was in literary form and later in DVD form. But that is, that is a whole, whole other rabbit hole to jump down. <laughs> um, but essentially, yeah, it boils down to it boils down to, to like what the experience is. You could have a visual novel that start to finish, all you're doing is just turning the page, wash your hands. Turn the page, wash your hands, especially because there's still COVID out there. Don't forget to go and get your ouchies. This is a casual reminder of that. Also, a '90s deep cut. Moving along, uh, we <laughs> so to to that that should pretty much um, bring things around for you there, uh, Joel. In terms of you know what constitutes a visual novel, it is essentially it is essentially an ebook experience, but the level of interactivity depends from novel to novel. In some cases, they will add game mechanics of a more traditional nature. Uh, great example, uh, going to stuff that you actually participated in uh, recently, um, Dream Daddy. Uh, that is a that is an American made yeah. uh, or rather a Western made uh, visual novel experience uh, that plays more into what the modern visual novel has become. It is very much a video game ass video game because, yes, you're doing the visual novel thing of clicking through, enjoying the story, enjoying the experience, making choices that will affect the narrative. But then you have mini-games. Gotta play mini-golf. Or, you know, keep penguins from escaping. <laughs> um, Would you
0: consider The World Ends with You a visual novel? I feel like that one is up against the boundary. I lean just a bit towards no, but there's so much dialogue in there that it's, part it's of me dialogue, says yes. Is Phoenix Wright is obviously a visual novel. I was um, gonna say, Phoenix
1: Wright, which you're going through with RJ and the greatest journey yeah. chronicles here on the channel. I think
0: Professor Layton, I think just passes the bar and is a visual novel.
1: It falls just outside because uh, it is more gameplay focused than anything else. Ace attorney, because of the way that its main gameplay is presented and where the focus lies, that one is definitely, it, it, it's a great example of a visual novel and one that has evolved the gameplay aspect uh, over the years that that franchise has existed. Uh, another great example uh, of, of a contemporary visual novel experience that for the most part doesn't stray too far from things, but also um, is a lot more interactive than certain visual novels. Of course, Doki Doki Literature Club. Um, that's God. That's been that's been a blast to to watch uh, our pal Mew Mew Rith as well as our regular co-host Prongi, uh play alongside Neo Ivan uh, whenever they've gotten together for it. Uh, but that's that's another great example. It's more focused on the story. And while it does have, quote unquote, gameplay mechanics, they're very non-traditional. It's, you know, mostly just the the decisions you make uh, with with how you present your poems. And then, of course, the end game where it's all sorts of mental gymnastics to figure out how you essentially resolve the story. Uh, none of which I'm getting into here because that is super spoilery and I don't want to deprive anyone of that experience. Um, and then another one that I realized I skipped over... Because this one has gone all over the place, uh, the Danganronpa series. That one started as visual novels, much like Ace Attorney, which have a more video gamey uh, kind of uh, kind of approach to their to their gameplay. Um, but it was adapted into a very popular anime series. Uh, and I know that uh, I mentioned Doki Doki and Dream Daddy, and those haven't had you know, proper anime adaptations. So I know those were a bit of an aside, but I wanted to cite them as examples of visual novels that are more video gamey, obviously Ace Attorney. We had two seasons of an anime uh, season. One was still one of the most fun things I ever got to help Crunchyroll promote. So that was awesome. <laughs> and I, I, I still love and adore my Ace Attorney crew who was there for that. Uh, they were the best. Um, and then yeah, Dream Daddy has gotten a graphic novel adaptation uh, out here in the West. So it's getting there. <laughs> there's, there's always the possibility. Um, and then Doki Doki Literature Club. I would not be surprised if somehow, some way that gets, if, if not an anime adaptation proper, uh, certainly some sort of animated adaptation. Yeah, I know that they I could definitely see that. Yeah, with the Plus release, they had uh, a Japanese translation so that they could do a Japanese release, which... That must have been absolutely phenomenal to 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 work with you know as a creator getting to adapt it for that market um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that one eventually you know gets that treatment as well, and bringing it back to the digital era entertainment side um i I won't get into too much detail because you know we're on air here, but <laughs> even Kokoro no pro uh it is very much uh evolving in such a way that. It is very possible to adapt it into an anime, and I've already actually put out some feelers on that. And some of the feedback we've gotten from there has been integrated into what we're still building out, and haven't even gotten to show, you know, the general public yet. Yeah. So it, visual, just visual novels, novels
0: as uh, a medium inherently lend themselves to this sort of adaptation because, exactly. unlike most traditional video games, you don't have to worry about the mechanics that a, a visual novel is in its purest form functionally no different than like you said a book so it'd be no different from you know a a manga adaptation except that instead of turning the page to go from panel to panel you're pressing the a button
1: yeah and and in terms of the the spoken dialogue uh that's part of why i was able to uh you know for for the uh pitch documents that i have for kokorono pro i could easily segment the chapters that we have so far Into actual episodes and present it as here's how we can here's how we can present this part of the story as an anime series. It slots in nicely because what we're basically doing is writing a script. Like (laughs) even though there is the the novel writing element of you know writing out the descriptions and stuff, because it is you know one part graphic novel essentially, the visuals kind of do some of that heavy lifting. So it's easy to just kind of cherry pick what are essentially you know uh, storyboards and the dialogue that goes with it. So in a weird way, visual novels are a storyboard for an anime. <laughs> so that makes it even easier when you're thinking from a production standpoint uh, for for why these are such good things to source from. So just a just a fun little you know production spin on why these are such good pieces of material. For for anime adaptations, um, I think we've pretty much covered all of the essentials. Uh, we've we've covered you know some of the popular ones. We've gone over you know the mechanics. Uh, you know I've given y'all uh, a small peek behind the curtain of you know why this would work uh, for making these translations from uh, you know essentially game media into. Uh, anime media, and uh, definitely use this as a good time to to chill. Kokoro no Pro, <laughs> so that's one less yeah. thing we have to deal with at the end of the show, which is rapidly approaching as I look at the time. Uh, so, do you have any particular final thoughts you'd like to uh, to share on you know the visual novels or some of your favorite visual novel game adaptations?
0: Yeah, so we've hit the ones that are most near and dear to my heart, but uh, visual novel adaptations are not a new thing by a long shot that they nope. are i would say after manga and light novel adaptations they are the most common forms of adaptations in anime that uh, yeah.
1: they're you, the sleepers see, honestly yeah
0: and the thing about light novel adaptations is that light novels are usually very dense things that they are obviously entirely story driven so it's not like you have uh, video game action sequences to lean on for your screen time, that it's going to be something dialogue-driven, character-driven. And the biggest complaints that these adaptations frequently get is, as I mentioned earlier with Muv that they are truncated too far, that these games can take sometimes 20, 30, 50 hours to play, mm-hmm. and you only get, well, depending on how many cores, let's say 12 episodes of screen time so times 23 minutes add that up that is not that's going to be 10 20 percent of the game the gameplay and you have to be able to convey the narrative in that way while trimming down things to that degree and there have been some very good visual novel adaptations see steinsgate there have been others that haven't done so well you probably haven't heard of them because they didn't do well yeah but (laughs) suffice to say there's a sliding scale here. There's some that just inherently lend themselves, that especially if one is on the shorter side, if one has a striking visual style or unique story versus ones that might be a bit more tropey, such as a dating sim or something of that nature. That Not to say dating sims can't be adapted, obviously, but uh, those are some of the ones that can be a bit trickier, especially if they have multiple endings because... Are you going to show the quote-unquote true ending or one ending? Are you going to try and do Clue and show multiple endings? I don't think I've seen many, if any, that have tried to do that. But funny you mention the types that. of things uh, there that is, happen.
1: There is one show I, I keep meaning to check out. It's normally not something I would ever want to touch with a 10-foot pole, but it, it was a visual novel adaptation that, in fact, basically did what you were saying. It's like, what are you going to show? Well, let's show you all the endings just in different sequences of how we get to it. Um, And admittedly, for Kokoro no Pro, when I had to sit there and, you know, pitch this thing, that was a thing I had to take under consideration. And I even had a a possible way to do it because of where I was pitching it to. I'm like, well, y'all did this. So in theory, depending on how we want to do this, we could do that. (laughs) So yeah, you bring up a fantastic point because that is one of the... Uh, I don't want to say pitfalls, but, you know, one of, the, one of the potential bottlenecks. One of the hazards. It's Yeah, it's one of the narrative bottlenecks. Uh, that's the best way I can put it. One of the potential narrative bottlenecks of doing a visual novel with multiple endings. So, yeah. But there there, there are ways around it. It just depends on what fits your story the best, I would say.
0: Yeah. And we're going to be continuing to follow up at least for the foreseeable future, to see which camp this one falls into. That it's got a few places it could go narratively and that's before talking about its various possible directions from a adaptation standpoint so keep up with us for that keep up with us for more information on obviously Kokoro no Pro which is going to be showcased at anime NYC I didn't know that the uh, panel had been locked in accepted and finalized so very excited to hear about that. uh, yeah, because that's not next weekend, but the weekend after that. It's the first weekend in November. So
1: Oh no no, it's uh it's no, uh, no, no, a little yeah, farther r- <laughs> sorry. wrong long
0: one, wrong one. I'm 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 flipping that around. Um yeah, that's uh the nineteenth rough... through twenty-first. Yeah, so I'm roughly a month from uh from
1: where we're yeah. recording this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Frontier is the first weekend of December.
1: Yes. Yeah, that one has a short turnaround time. <laughs> F in the yeah, chat yeah. for our friends at left field who have to go from one, one to the oh, other back boy. to back.
0: Yeah. Woo! But yes, Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mari. do you have anything else before we start to wrap?
1: Uh, Nope. Just uh, for those of you who are watching live, don't forget to stick around. We are going to be doing our weekly happy hour hosted by Neo Ivan of Neo Ivan Gaming. Um, again, thank you so much to everybody for jumping in. We did have to uh, move the schedule around just a teensy bit, but it sounds like it worked out swimmingly well. So hooray. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll just uh, go through our, our wrap up. Uh, would you like me to do the honors or would you like to speed run yeah, through? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> all righty. So we've already talked about our panel. We've already talked about Kokoro No Pro. But as a casual reminder, if you are watching this live and you'd like to follow us across social media, all that information is at the top of your screen. You can also go to our main website, DigitalEraEntertainment.com, where you can also find our written content, podcasts, and more, including more information about Kokoro Pro. If you want to support us directly, whether it is by uh, following or if you're so inclined, subscribing. By the way, Nathan, I saw that you resubscribed uh, 21 hours ago. Thank you very much for that. Do appreciate it, buddy. Um, you can go to our merch page. That is over at Stream Elements, so merchstreamelementscom Entertainment. We have our long-awaited fall collection, which includes a bunch of Kokoro No Pro related merchandise. Uh, so, if you want to help uh, support not just our brand, but also uh, the development of that project, I'm sorry, the development of that project, that is another fun way to do it. Of course, big thanks to our sponsors, Image Anime who will also be exhibiting at uh, Anime NYC. Uh, I believe it is booth 1930 uh, that they are going to be at. You can go to their website, imageanime.com, and use the code DISCOUNT20 for 20% off all in-stock items between now and the end of the year. Holidays are coming up, so no, no time like the present to get a present using the discount code (laughs) and if you want to see what they have in person i mentioned the waypoint cafe earlier in the stream waypoint cafe at 65 ludlow street is the home of image anime's pop-up shop as well as our weekly esports and gaming podcast decode which we mentioned earlier in the stream it all comes together all right
0: i'm ready to go make some friends and talk about anime y'all like anime (laughs) oh boy oh happy hour is gonna be fun Win. yes indeed well thank you all for tuning in this has been episode 79 of Dekai Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast I'm Joel he's Mario stay safe stay sane get your fau and your flu shot and we will see you next time on Digital Era Twitch